morning, everybody. Welcome to Vermont Viewpoint. Jim Douglas sitting in today. Great to have you on this uh, Friday morning as we get closer to Christmas. We hope Santa is good to each and every one of you. I'll get my customary lump of coal, I expect, uh, in my <laughs> stocking. But uh, really nice to be uh, to be with you. And um, we've got a great show today. We're, we're starting off with some legislative leaders. Uh, um, I don't know if it's uh, exciting or good or not, but the legislature will reconvene fairly soon. Remember the old line, no one's life, liberty, or property is safe while the legislature is in session. But we'll be chatting first with uh, our good friend Randy Brock, the senator from Franklin County and minority leader of the state senate. And then we're going to follow up at 930 with his House counterpart, Representative Patty McCoy from Poultney, uh, who, uh, both of whom, Randy and Patty, uh, uh, have massive uh, caucuses in their respective chambers. <laughs> uh, but uh, we'll see what, uh, uh, what the uh, Republican minority has to say about some of the important issues facing our state. So, Senator Brock, welcome. Well, thank you. Uh, it's, it's good to be here. I'm looking forward to uh, getting back to Montpelier. We could have our caucus meetings in the telephone booth that we usually have. Well, it's interesting. Uh, uh, the Vermont Senate now is 23 Democrats and seven Republicans. Is that correct? That is correct. Well, I, I just, uh, in anticipation of our discussion, uh, checked my memory, and I looked uh, at the composition of the Senate during my first year in the House, which was 1973. <laughs> it was exactly the reverse. Yes. <laughs> 23 Republicans and seven Democrats. But uh, we can dream. <laughs> we can. Uh, maybe things go around and come around. We'll yes. see. But uh, anyway, thanks for, for coming by. And uh, um, you're on your way to uh, the Capitol today to talk about a, uh, an initiative that keeps coming around and around. Uh, tell us about that. Everybody wants to revamp the state house, add additional space, add more buildings, add uh, more space for the cafeteria, and it goes on and on and on. And, of course, these things are free, as you know. <laughs> and so that's one of the things we're going to be talking about today. I do think there are going to be some things that need to be done just for fire safety and the like and, uh, and, and to make sure that we have enough room in the committee rooms for the committees. We've got a couple of very tiny committee rooms and uh, – Given uh, the recovery from COVID, that is something to bear in mind. So I think there's some things that we probably all will agree on doing, but I hope they will be very limited and to just the essentials. Well, and of course, one concern that's been expressed through the years is to maintain the aesthetic view of the historic Capitol building and not turn it into something more modern. So I'm sure you'll Absolutely. Think I think that will be the case. And of course, as you know, maintaining things old is much more expensive than doing things new, but I think it's a essential that we do that. Well, good luck with that. Um, uh, those committee rooms are small. Uh, every January, uh, I'm, I bring my college uh, political science class to the state house, and they're shocked at the <laughs> size of committee rooms. Now they have to squeeze in there with the press and staff mm-hmm. and everything else. But, you know, one of the things that's really interesting uh, with the uh, movement of time and the advance of technology, and particularly as a result of the pandemic, people were listening to the committee rooms, listening to the committee discussions, and participating in them remotely for the first time. And we have far more people now participating in committee discussions and and being present to witness what's going on in the committees than we ever did before. Well, it's a good point, and uh, some lobbyists tell me it's more convenient for them, too, to listen to what's going on. Yes, we, we, we know. We, we look at the dollar amounts involved in any particular bill, and you can correlate that to the number of lobbyists who are on the line. <laughs> 
Well, we'll uh, we'll see what happens with the state house expansion plan that seems to come around every couple of years. Um, we should talk about uh, fiscal matters. Um, they're always paramount in the legislative session, and it's a particularly interesting time now, isn't it? Because we've had all this federal money coming in as a result of the pandemic, and it's going to dry up. So, what's going to happen? Well, we've had huge, unprecedented amounts of money, and we see that reflected in our budgets. And one of the things that we've tried to do, at least I certainly have over the past several years, is recognize that the party will not go on forever and that it would be extremely unwise to create new programs, particularly continuing programs, uh, using this federal money, this windfall that we have, uh, because we have to recognize that sometime the party's going to be over, and this year the party is over. And so the notion of having to continue to pay continuing program expenses uh, based on federal money that we no longer have is a real issue. I believe that we're going to have find this to be a very tight fiscal year. Uh, and uh, in many cases, we have so many new legislators who have not gone through these hills and valleys before uh, that there's an optimism that is misplaced. Well, it's a, a loss of federal funds and um, perhaps a softening economy. Uh, there's still talk about a perhaps a mild recession in the next year or so. Well, there, there obviously are, are debates. Debates about that. Uh, so far, uh, we anticipate this year that there will be a slight revenue fall. Uh, uh just in the normal course of business. And then uh, the economists tell us uh, uh, the likelihood that a continued in- increase gradually uh, over time. But you, you should recognize that, like fortune tellers, economists aren't regulated or licensed in Vermont. <laughs> so, Well, actually, I remember a time when fortune tellers Oh, I do, were, too. Yes. I do. I remember. <laughs> Believe me, you and I were both there. <laughs> that was our one major accomplishment in deregulation. <laughs> we're chatting with Randy Brock. Senator from Franklin County, Minority Leader of the State Senate about the upcoming session. Um, well, every year, Randy, it seems uh, that somebody has a wonderful idea on how to spend more money. Uh, and sometimes, like last year, the legislative majority decided to impose a new tax. I'm thinking of the child care yeah. subsidies. Uh, so a, a state that already had the fourth highest tax burden in America, according to one survey early last year, then added a payroll tax on top of that. Uh, where does all that end? It, well, again, if we continue in the way that we've operated the last few years, it doesn't end. And that's, that's again, one of my concerns. Uh, we are a very highly taxed state. Uh, and th- all of the things that we want to do are typically things that, Most people would say these are really good things if you had unlimited wealth. If you don't have unlimited wealth, though, many of these things are are good, they're great, but you have to look at the offset. The offset is particularly lower-income Vermonters, middle-income Vermonters, even more so, are tremendously affected by them, and you have to have a balance. There will be a push again this year uh, for paid family leave, for example, just as it was for child care in in the last session. And uh, the question becomes, one, can we afford it? And we're also coming out... uh, uh, off the results of the flooding, the great floods of 2023. And these these catastrophic incidents are becoming more frequent, as we know in Vermont. And uh, the costs of them, uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a while before we pay the costs of this, this most recent flood.
I assume that uh, I, I shouldn't put words in your mouth that uh, um, public safety and that kind of infrastructure repair would be a higher priority than a new spending program. We would hope so. <laughs> it certainly is. It certainly is a higher priority uh, as far as I'm concerned. One of the things that you, you have to remember about government is by and large, government does good things. Most people would say in terms of new programs and so on, but uh, always at a cost. And uh, I'm on uh, among the zillion committees that I'm on. One of the principal committees is the finance committee in the Senate. Now, the finance committee ought to be called the tax committee, <laughs> but no legislator wants to serve on the tax committee because that's the committee that that has to figure out if if we are going to do some things how on earth are we going to pay for them well uh, uh good for you for serving on that committee we're glad you're there and and um uh, one, one tax issue that i wanted to ask you about uh is um uh something that the state tax commissioner talked about in the last week or so that's his um, annual required report on the projected property tax increase based on school spending and other factors and uh commissioner bolio proje- projected an 18 and a half percent property tax hike uh i think a lot of people are gulping at that uh, what, what do you think oh they, they really are gulping and as as well they ought to be and the issue is most of that is is school spending now, there, there are a couple of issues involved there. One is, of course, that we uh, delayed uh, doing a lot of school repairs for years and years and years, and the chickens have come home to roost on the one hand. On the other hand, education costs in Vermont are high. They're among, if not the highest in the nation, very close to the top of the nation, and they have been for years, and uh, we don't get good answers as to why is it so expensive to educate a kid. And it would be great if we were pr- pr- producing uh such highly educated kids, and we had such great programs that nobody else in the country could match us. But that's not the case. Well, that's a good point. And um, uh, I've always thought economy of scale is one factor, obviously, because we have small towns and small schools, and we've chosen to pay for it. But there may come a breaking point, so we'll see. Well, there will. And there's a limit to what people can pay. And now, you know, there's some talk that, well, let's add a surtax, a 3% surtax on incomes above half a million dollars. They can afford it after all. But the issue then is we are in a competition with 49 other states. Right now, we have a significant number of wealthy Vermonters who spend five months and 29 days in Vermont and the rest of the time in Florida or someplace else that doesn't have the kind of tax rates that we have, certainly doesn't have the income tax rates, and in many cases doesn't have the property tax rate. And the property tax, a person who spends time here, who, who lives here even part of the year and owns property, will pay a property tax. No ifs, ands, and buts about it, but it's the other taxes. It's the income taxes that 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 really make the the difference there and so i'm very concerned that we don't do things to drive people away well obviously very important our population's been fairly static a little growth i guess in the last year or so but uh, i remember um, uh, by the way both of my sons lives in live in states with no personal income tax they're smarter than their old man my uh, daughter does too <laughs> there you go and um uh, one of my sons bought a home in uh, arizona some years ago and he told me what his property tax was and my my reaction was uh, uh monthly <laughs> <laughs> so you're right we we're yeah. competitive and now in a mobile society where people can work remotely it's even more competitive it is it is we're chatting with randy brock senator from franklin county minority leader of the state senate and uh, i told randy with his uh, caucus of uh, seven I, it's at least it's a lucky number right uh, 
<laughs> but it's a small group of uh, uh, valiant Republicans in Montpelier who are fighting the good fight and uh, trying to give Governor Scott as much support as possible and as he seeks to hold the line on spending and taxes, sometimes with success, but not always. And that's the, the way the process works. We've been talking about um, uh, property taxes and state taxes generally, uh, the federal funding that's likely to uh, shrivel in the last uh, in the next uh, uh, year. Um, but there's some other issues, Randy, I want to get your perspective on. Um, everyone has been saying this year uh, that the top priority is housing. Um, there have been legislative initiatives in the last couple of years. And just uh, yesterday, I think, the um, uh, chairman of the National Resources Board came out with a proposal to uh, offer exemptions from Act 250 for densely populated urban areas. Um, and uh, I, I'm interested in your take on that because uh, I think it's fair to say it is a problem, right? Oh, it's, it's a tremendous problem. Uh, we have people right now who want to move to Vermont to fill jobs that we have. And bear in mind, the, the demographic crisis along with the housing crisis, A, they go hand in hand, and B, both are very, very serious. So we have people who want to come uh, to Vermont uh, to fill jobs that we have, in particular things like in the medical center uh, in Burlington, in which we need uh, physicians of, of various and sundry kinds, and they can't because they can't find any place to live. Clearly, people in the middle class who want to come to Vermont for the jobs that we have, that we're growing in a number of areas, particularly in the technology area, are finding it very, very difficult to do so because they can't find a place to live. And that we have to deal with. And we did a lot in the last session uh, in terms of uh, improving the ability of people to get uh, housing, to get new properties built, uh, designated certain areas, uh, priority housing project areas that uh, could be exempt from some of the onerous uh, restrictions, the time-consuming restrictions uh, of, of development. And as a result of this, plus a lot of money, we are able now to build more and better in three-tenths of one percent of the land area of Vermont. That's what we accomplished. <laughs> well, so, and a lot of people say, well, we don't want to despoil the natural beauty and open spaces of Vermont, but, but there certainly are places where we could develop more housing, right? We could develop more housing, one, and two, we could do it faster. Speed is one of the critical issues in all of this. You know, there's a project in, in South Burlington we heard uh, in uh, the Economic Development Committee uh, hearing from uh, the developer, uh, and he's doing everything right. He's following all the rules, and, right, and he's three years into it, and they haven't turned the first shovel of dirt yet, and that's the problem. That's one of the problems. Uh, the overall... Uh, restriction in where building can be done, restrictions on developers that say they can't do more than X number of properties uh, in a five-mile radius within an X number of year period without triggering Act 250 and all of that, that that's associated with it. And we have to be, uh, I think, uh, a little bit more reasonable. We've got some proposals this year that, that would do that, that would increase the number of areas, but still provide, and this is really important, still provide the environmental protections and the anti Sprawl protections that we all like. Remember, uh, Act 250 was introduced by a Republican governor. That was Dean Davis, is who I know you knew as well as I did, yeah. uh, uh, back in 1970. Uh, and that uh, has been the, the hallmark of what we use to do development. And nobody, I don't think any of us, want to see sprawl. We don't want to see New Jersey in Vermont. At the same time, we know that people have to have a place to live. Well, there's no question that uh, Governor Davis saw a real 
and legitimate need. Uh, the story is that he went to yeah. uh, uh, some ski areas and saw overdevelopment on yep. fragile hillsides, saw raw sewage running down the uh, the, the hillsides there, and, and so it had a purpose. But uh, like a lot of government programs, it seems to have become more cumbersome and and more legalistic. I remember talking mm-hmm. with a um, an Act 250 commissioner from the old days uh, when uh, mm-hmm. he said, we would make a decision on a permit, quote, without a lawyer in the room, unquote. <laughs> <laughs> and he said yeah. we would make a decision before the evening was over. Yeah. So to your point, uh, it, it goes on forever now, and and time is money. And I, I was chatting with a uh, lawyer for developers uh, a while back, and he said my client is, uh, can take a, a green light or a red light. Don't give me a yellow light. Yeah. And that's what they get. Right. And peop- one of the things is we know that some people walk away. The Things go through relatively quickly with Act 250 in the vast majority of cases. But in those cases in which someone appeals, uh, that appeal, the average time is a year in a case uh, where there is an appeal. And that's the problem. And in some cases, appeals, it, they're not necessarily frivolous as such, but at the same time, they may may, may skirt that. And the other question, of course, is how many applications are never submitted because Absolutely. they don't want to go through that. Absolutely. You made an earlier point, um, Randy, about um, the fact that we don't want to in any way diminish the strong environmental standards that we have in Vermont. And it reminds me of a story uh, uh, or a chat I had with a, a commercial or industrial um, uh, leader down in southern Vermont some years ago. And uh, he said, I have a plant in Massachusetts as well. And uh, their environmental standards are at least as rigorous as Vermont. But I get my permits much faster. So yeah. that's uh, that's the issue. That's the issue. Well, we'll work on it, I hope. And uh, I was really pleased to see uh, Chairman Haskell come out with uh, some bold proposals yesterday based on what I saw in the news and hope that you and your colleagues will uh, will look at them seriously and maybe we can at long last make some progress. I hope that we're going to be able, at least from the Senate perspective, to come up with Ed, an omnibus housing bill uh, that will get bipartisan support because all of us, I know, on the committee who've dealt with this in the past year want to move this forward but want to do it in a responsible way. But we need the housing built for the people who want to come here, the people that we need. You know, you can't go anywhere in Vermont without seeing a help wanted sign. Right. Uh, the, the classic is I have a, a woman who contacted me not long ago. She uh, looking for housing or talking about housing and she is a, a nurse at the medical center in Burlington and she's living in Highgate. Wow. Because that was the only place that she could find a place for herself and her daughter. And that's a long way away. Even if gas prices are down 10 or 20 cents, you're exactly right. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. And that, that was, uh, our commitment to reducing the consumption of fuels uh, would be better served by more housing. Closer. Well, I mean, even uh, in Franklin County, we have uh, a housing crunch. And again, part of the reason for that is we have people traveling further and further to jobs. We've got a call from uh, Brian in uh, Lamoille County. Brian, uh, um, we're out, you're on the air with Senator Brock. Well, Gary. Um, hey, Governor Joe, uh, Senator Brock. Uh, I uh, was out and about earlier. I heard you talking about education, so I just I waited till I got home to call here. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, people talk about per pupil costs a lot, and I realize that's the way everybody analyzes it. I would appreciate if people did uh, per administrator cost. And, <laughs> Uh, I know in, in uh, where I was teaching, I taught for 27 years in Lamoille County. 
and we went from four people in the central, like the supervisory office, to sixteen, okay. and they get full benefits. They nobody even knows what half those people do. Um, <laughs> the money doesn't always trickle down to the students. And the other thing, as far as like low test scores, they got rid of a lot of the older teachers, not to diss the younger teachers. It's hard teaching these days, no matter what. But um, they don't. Uh, the tech costs as well. Uh, the kids don't need uh, an adult in school teaching them how to use a computer. They, the kids are very, very good at that themselves. And it was uh, the older teachers were teaching basic skills, and then you use the computer as a tool to express it. And what happened was the computer sort of took over, and you know we're teaching kids how to read and write. At younger and younger grades using the digital, you know, uh, platforms. And it, it really affects the kids a lot. It takes away their ownership of their own skill set. And it just, they don't take the test seriously. Half the kids, the reasons they don't do well in the test is they say, well, it doesn't affect your grade. So, great points, Brian. Blow it off. Let, let yep. me get Senator Brock's uh, response because we've got uh, just a thanks. minute or so left on the show. But thanks so much for okay, calling in. Thanks. And you're right on the uh, the statistics, um, uh, Senator. Uh, I remember seeing that not only do we have the lowest student teacher ratio in America, but the lowest uh, student to staff ratio, too. Yeah. And. The whole issue of uh, staff is is significant. Uh, as we look at the administrative overhead now, a lot of that is caused by regulation. Much of it is federal regulation also in terms of uh, the amount of things that have to be counted and, and measured and reported upon. Uh, those are all issues, but we are our own worst enemy. We've got to find better ways of doing this that are less labor-intensive and less costly, and I don't see a whole lot of effort being uh, focused on re engineering processes and the way we do things. And there are potential savings there. Any business uh, in the commercial world would do this from day one, is continually re-engineer what you do to lower costs. And there's less of an incentive to do that in, in government. Well, uh, I wish you well as you continue to pursue these ideas. Um, uh, in a way, there's nothing new under the sun. I remember talking about uh, the housing challenge back way back when I was in office and uh, proposing some of the ideas that are advancing now, such as regulatory relief in urban areas. So I mm-hmm. hope you're successful with Well, them. one of the things that we're doing, and I had a committee meeting uh, on this subject day before yesterday, we have a government accountability committee, a summer government accountability committee that is revamping uh, and has a series of recommendations on how we ought to be looking at new legislation, A, to make sure it works, and then looking back to see if there was a real return on investment by what we legislate. We can make a lot of progress. I wish you well. Randy Brock, Senator from Franklin County and Minority Leader in the Vermont State Senate, um, we appreciate your time this morning. We'll be chatting with uh, Senator Brock's House counterpart, Representative Patty McCoy, after the break, so we'll be right back.
Welcome back to Vermont Viewpoint. Jim Douglas with you today. We had a great conversation during the preceding half hour with uh, Senator Randy Brock of Franklin County, the Senate Minority Leader. He's on his way to a meeting in Montpelier today to uh, persuade his colleagues not to spend as much money as some of them uh, seem to want or somebody wants to. And we're honored to be joined uh, this half hour by Representative Patty McCoy, uh, Senator Brock's House counterpart, the House Minority Leader from Pulteney. Uh, Representative McCoy, welcome to WDEV. Thanks for having me, Governor. Well, a lot to, to talk about for sure as you get ready for the second half of the legislative biennium. And the senator and I were talking about uh, fiscal issues, which I suppose are uh, are paramount whenever the legislature convenes, and especially the uh, the decline or maybe a, a summary drop of federal funds that we've been getting through the COVID pandemic relief bills that they've been passing in Congress, some trillions upon trillions for uh, spending nationwide, um, money, of course, that we don't have that's borrowed from our kids and grandkids. But what, what, what's your take on uh, where things stand in terms of a budget for, for next year and, uh, and how you're going to accommodate the decline in federal resources? Yes. Well, um, I know the governor's working hard with all of his departments to try to figure out, you know, the attempt to get to, you know, like a 3% overall increase in spending. But um, as we saw last year, he proposed that, but we went way beyond that last year. So uh, this year is going to be a challenge as well because, uh, as you had mentioned, the um, federal monies are, you know, the well is dry now. Uh, we're post-pandemic now, and there is no more money coming from the federal government. And we passed a lot of, you know, one-time funding fund um, measures, and um, I don't know how we're going to uh, continue to fund those because the money is no longer there. Of course, some of your counterparts uh, uh, in the majority have ideas such as higher taxes. So we've heard uh, uh, already a, a proposal for a 3% surtar- surcharge on income over a certain level. Um, last year, the legislature imposed a new payroll tax to pay for the child care um, subsidies uh, and programs. So I assume you'll, you'll have to be fighting off more calls for higher taxes, won't you? Yes, and you know this is coming off of uh, last year, as I had said. We passed uh, initiatives that uh, are costing Vermonters one half a billion dollars, a half a billion dollars in new taxes and fees last year, which is uh, averages about twelve hundred dollars per family. Just this last year, that's what their their increase in taxes will be. So, you know, I don't know. We've got to reach some tipping point at some point that Vermonters can't afford this, the half a billion we passed last year. So, you know, going on to, to the next year, what, what they possibly think. And, you know, I had heard, I don't know, maybe three or four years into my nine-year tenure so far that the top 800 taxpayers in the state of Vermont already pay 40% of our income taxes. And to think that you can tax them an additional 3%, you know, there comes a tipping point where, yeah, sure, they'll stay in Vermont, but they're going to claim Florida or, you know, if their second home's in Florida as their, you know, primary residence now, and we're not going to get anything. 
Well, that's a great point. Uh, I often said that people with means have choices, and and uh, sometimes we would see those statistics that more people moved into Vermont than out, but uh, that was based on United Van Lines, not reality, because as you're, you're implying that these are folks who already have a place in Florida or South Carolina or Texas or wherever it might be. All they need to do is stay there longer and change their residency, and we lose everything. And I, I'm not sure your colleagues understand that. Right. You know, six months in one day. So what's one day to somebody who's you know has two homes? And uh, it's, it is very competitive, especially with some states that have no personal income tax, no estate tax, and uh, um, uh, a lighter overall burden. We're, exactly. We're, ch- we're chatting with Representative Patty McCoy, the House Minority Leader, and uh, another tax issue. I'm sorry to bring up such uh, uplifting topics. Patty, but, but, <laughs> yes. Merry Christmas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but another tax issue that I'd love your take on is uh, what we heard from uh, uh, the tax commissioner, Mr. Bolio, this past uh, week or so where he projected because of school spending increases that are likely next year and other factors that uh, the uh, education property tax burden will go up by 18 and a half percent. I mean, uh, the governor has said that's unsustainable. It's unacceptable. Um, what, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, 18 percent is is significant coming off of, you know, FY19, it was a 1.7% growth. And, you know, it just has gone up and up and up. It's not sustainable. You know, 18% for a person who has a home that's assessed at $250,000 is going to see $650 more on their tax bill. I mean, that's a lot of money. And that's just, I mean, that's $650 on their school tax bill. You know, that's not the municipal tax. And granted, most municipalities, their school tax is probably 75 to 80% of their tax bill. But there's a, the additional municipal rate, which is 25% of their bill, that is going to have to go up as well because the state mandates more and more on the towns to do more and you know, the money's got to come from somewhere. Well, it certainly does. Um, or we could spend less, uh, which is a radical <laughs> idea, I guess. But I know. Huh? We'll see what happens. Um, uh, Patty, um, uh, the one issue I want to get your uh, uh, reaction to is uh, the housing crisis. Um, a lot of folks have uh, noted the uh, the lack of housing. It seems like affordable housing is a, an oxymoron these days. And um, as Senator Brock told us in the last half hour, there are so many employers who would love to hire more folks, but um, they're, they're hard to attract uh, if the prospective employee can't find a place to live. So what, what do you think was, is likely on the legislative docket for housing? Yeah, that, that's one issue that we need to tackle. A lot of it, you know, I, I know COVID brought, uh, you know, a lot of homelessness into our state. And we continue to see that with the hotel motel voucher, which will uh, end, hopefully, April 1. But we need to have a plan moving forward on how to um, house individuals um, in a way that's affordable to both the state 
in the the, the taxpayers in our state. Uh, what that is, I don't, you know, I don't have the, the answer to it, but um, we certainly have to, um, we have some initiatives going on where we have uh, low-income housing being built around um, the state. Rutland County is a, a good example. We have uh, one that just uh, opened last year. Um, if you're familiar, right off of Woodstock Avenue, Route 4, um, you know, those are success stories that we have. But, um, you know, the average person who's working, say, at, you know, GE, General Electric, for them to try to find a home that's affordable to them uh, is they're just not there. And take into account the mortgage rates are, I don't know, even know what they are right now, seven, seven and a half percent, maybe. Mm. You know, it's just not not uh, doable for your average Vermonter. And I've heard that uh, there are some people living in shelters who are employed, but uh, as you say, it's just not enough to uh, uh, to uh, to be to, to allow them to be able to afford a home. So it's a real challenge. And on homelessness, uh, I live in Middlebury, of course, and uh, uh, that's become more visible there. Uh, we see a lot of news reports about Burlington, but. Um, uh, homeless encampments uh, in Middlebury now and uh, I'm sure other places around the state. So it's a real problem. And, and the other aspect, as I mentioned, is uh, attracting people to move to Vermont. Uh, Governor Scott has suggested we need to grow our population if we're going to be vibrant economically and employers uh, certainly have opportunities if uh, if there are people around to fill them. So it seems like at every level um, housing, the housing shortage is a real problem Right now. Yeah, it is. And as far as, you know, our population, I mean, I don't uh, you can't drive anywhere without seeing a help wanted sign. And there are help wanted signs all over this state. So that that definitely is an issue. We just need more people to, to move into the state, which, you know, the more people we have uh, alleviates the tax burden on the rest of us. Exactly right. It's not rocket science. <laughs> it's no, exactly. Pretty, pretty yeah. straightforward. We're chatting with Representative Patty McCoy, the House Minority Leader. She's a longtime legislator from Pulteney, and uh, we're glad you're on the job, Patty, to uh, push back for against some of the ideas that are not going to lead us to uh, prosperity and affordability in Vermont. Um, I was chatting with uh, Senator Brock about how things have changed uh, numerically in the legislature since my day when we had Republican majorities, but we can we can dream, he said, so we, <laughs> we, we will. Uh, we were chatting about housing before the break, and I, I wanted to mention uh, one other aspect of that and get your reaction to it. Uh, just yesterday, uh, Sabina Haskell, the chairman of the um, uh, Natural Resources Board, um, um, suggested, I, I think, some pretty bold uh, reforms to Act 250 because uh, a lot of um, folks in the know have said to me, well, you, you've put a lot of money into housing programs in recent years, but uh, that's not really the issue. It's uh, uh, it's regulatory relief because it takes so long and it's so expensive to develop housing, and there's a lot of nimbyism, and, and it's hard to find a place to do it. So any thoughts on um, whether we'll get some Act 250 reform this year? There, there was a big effort, of course, at its 50th anniversary three or four years ago, and nothing happened then. But uh, could this be the year? 
I'm hopeful because that that is a stumbling block for us to um, actually, if we're going to think of housing, Act 250 is the first thing that we have to think of. Um, It takes so long for anything to get done in this state as far as uh, getting your Act 250 permit. And not only the time, but the expense to the individual who's trying to... um, you know, uh, make Vermont a, a better place for us to live, work, and play. And it just, I know the governor has tried for the last four or five years for Act 250 reform, and we just can't get it done. So um, with the help, hopefully, of Vermonters listening now, uh, calling into their state uh, senators and representatives to um, ask for change to Act 250, uh, maybe this is the year that we can get it done. Well, we'll hope so. We've got some uh, callers uh, on the line, Patty. Let's go to Jim and Barry first. Uh, good morning. You're on with Representative McCoy. Jim? Jim from Barry? Well, we can uh, try uh, Mark from Bethel. Good morning. Hi, Mark. Yeah, I'm... I, I, this is Mark. Uh, yeah, so I'm just listening to you guys, you know, talking about all of this. And this property tax issue is, is huge for me because I'm an old school Vermonter that, uh, you know, has always paid as he went and save you money and so on and so forth and not spend more than you have. And here I am, uh, a senior citizen, and watching these property taxes uh you know, they're so frightening. And you raise these property taxes, uh, you're going to raise the rents, you're going to raise the evictions, you're going to have more homeless people, and, you know, those that got yet, you know, the rich are going to come here, they are coming. Uh, COVID opened this whole thing up with us being the safest state, you know, when we first started out. And, oh my God, people are uh, real estate prices, I mean, Five years ago, if you paid three hundred thousand for a house, you going, how much? Now they're like seven, eight hundred. Um, so yeah, we got to stop spending and figure out how to keep people off the streets. It's just crazy being an old school Vermont and seeing where Vermont has gone. It's like we're a snowball going downhill, heading for hell. Well, Mark, uh, um, we hope we can uh, avoid that uh, uh, path. But uh, Representative McCoy, a reaction to Mark's comments? Well, I absolutely agree with uh, everything that uh, Mark has stated. Uh, It's just not sustainable anymore, you know. And I I think uh, COVID, well, I think this state did a a phenomenal job in uh, COVID and, um, you know, allaying people's fears and, you know, being the safest uh, state in the nation in that respect. The the millions and, well, trillions of dollars that entered this state federally, um, and might I say, I mean, that adds to the federal deficit, so it's not free money, as people say. I mean, it's our taxpayer dollar, regardless of whether it's federal or state. Um, You know, that balloon's popped. And it's floating, you know, we're floating back to reality. And my fear is it's going to be a hard hit when we hit that ground. Uh, it's it's going to be a tough one. And I think we as a legislature need to, you know, understand that, that 
the well is dry now, folks, and we need to get back to the times when we found, you know, our appropriations committee found, you know, $10,000, not $10 million, but they were looking at $10,000, and oh my gosh, we found 10000 What can we do with this? Uh, that's what we have to get back to. Well, living within our means. What, what a radical idea, Patty, uh, living within our means, which is what yeah. uh, Vermonters and families and uh, and businesses do here. Mark, thanks for bringing it up, and uh, let's hope we can avoid the uh, scenario you've uh, you've suggested. Um, we have Jim from Barry on the line, or another caller. Yeah. Good morning. Good morning, Governor. Good morning, Representative. Can you hear me now? Yes, we can. All right. Good. Hey, listen, I called. A couple of weeks ago, and spoke on the radio to someone who was promoting this 3% uh, fair share uh, bill. And I asked them a question that I don't believe I ever got a straight answer to, and, and they kept referring me to Paul Silo's website. But anyway, I asked the question, what's the percentage that this uh, segment of taxpayers is already paying of their income? And they want to add 3% to that. Well, uh, my understanding, um, you know, several years back, for, you know, I'm, I'm going to say about five years ago, uh, my understanding was the top 800 taxpayers pay 40% of our income tax already. Right. And, and you may have already answered the question because I've been only listening intermittently, but do you know the actual percentage that they already pay? I mean, I'm thinking that it's already approaching 50% or somewhere in that ballpark. It's 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 40% right now, yeah. 40%. What, yes. Okay, that's, yes. that's the answer I'm looking for. So they want to raise it to 43%. <laughs> I don't know what they want to raise it to, but, you know, at 3%, they're probably saying not a big deal, but 3% on top of all, what they're already contributing is a massive amount of money. And, uh, you that's know, what, if I were one of these 800 people, I'd think long and hard whether I was going to stay in the state. And when they leave, their money goes with them, which means we, Vermonters who are left behind, are going to have to pick up that slack when they leave. Yeah, that's, that's exactly my point, and the issue of what is what is fair. I mean, they're already paying more than a fair share by... Uh, a lot of standards. Exactly right, uh, Jim. We appreciate your call. And um, um, as uh, we discussed with Senator Brock, a lot of those folks have mobility, and um, uh, they might, as you say, uh, Patty, go somewhere else. Well, time flies uh, uh, when we're having fun, and uh, I certainly have enjoyed our conversation, Patty, as we uh, uh, look forward to the legislative session that begins uh, in not too many weeks. So uh, thank you so much for joining us in Vermont Viewpoint, and best of luck as you uh, navigate the tricky shoals in January. Thanks so much. Say, say hello to Dorothy for me. I'll and do that. Wonderful You're... Christmas with yeah. your grandkids, I hope. Thank you, and you and Matt with yours. Yes, take care. <laughs> This is Vermont Viewpoint. We'll be right back.